So should we be colorblind when it comes to race? I hear it all the time from Christians. I don't see color. And you're racist if you keep talking about race. Well, our guest today has a very gentle rebuttal to those ideas. And she believes we white Christians need to do better than that. Maybe even teach our kids they need to know that they are, in fact, white. Catherine Martin, author of the book, The Colorful Image of God, A White Christian's Guide to Doing Better, is our guest today. And you may say, oh, I'm so sick of hearing about race. I think it's an issue that is right in the center of the heart of heaven. And Jesus would want you to listen and hear more and continue to be challenged on race because it continues to be an issue that's so vital for us to carry out the message of Jesus in this world. And while you're getting ready to hear Catherine speak, don't forget, go to my website, pastor-paul.com. If you love our free content, these podcasts, the Sunday community, my TikTok lives, all of those things are enabled by the support I get through subscriptions at my website, pastor-paul.com. Would you go over there, check out the resources, consider giving as little as $5.99 a month to help up to $100 a month uh, whatever you can give, I will love you for it. Now, here's Catherine Martin, our guest, the author of The Colorful Image of God, A White Christian's Guide to Doing Better, on part one of our conversation with her on the Post-Evangelical Podcast. I'm excited to have Catherine Martin with us today on the Post-Evangelical Podcast, where we talk about what first century faith can look like in the 21st century. And Catherine, I'm really excited to have you because you're bringing a huge topic about race and the church. And so just let me welcome you to being on the podcast with us today. Thanks, Paul. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm loving to have the chance to talk to you today. Um, Catherine, by the way, is a nonprofit leader, a justice, justice advocate, and a new author. And the book has a title that may shake a few of you out there. It's called The Colorful Image of God, A White Christian's Guide to Doing Better. So what inspired you to write a book, apparently to white Christians, to inspire them to do better? Yeah, yeah, so I've, as you said, I've worked in the nonprofit space around justice and education issues for most of my career. And admittedly, in the beginning, I was not thinking about race, not thinking deeply about the connection um, of racism and lots of the injustices that I cared so much about. And I am a, a white woman and I had what I call a spiritual awakening about 15 years ago. Um, some really courageous colleagues of color um, came to me and other members of our leadership team and said, hey, we don't think we're having the experience, the same experience as our colleagues of color. And that was a big wake up call to me. And so it began a, a journey of learning and really trying to listen to authors and activists of color and understand the history of the United States in different ways. And as I was reading and learning, um, you know, over a decade ago, I kept thinking, gosh, like a lot of the reading I was doing was from a secular lens. But I, I kept thinking, 
I'm pretty sure Jesus would be aligned to a lot of these same things, right? Like our God of justice cares so deeply. And why isn't the church, at least the churches that I've been a part of, like, why aren't we talking about racial injustice as one of the key things going on? And, um, you know, that was 10 years or so ago, obviously in the last couple of years, we've seen lots more talk about race and racism, which I think is a good thing. Um, but still a lot of white people either don't want to talk about it or, or, or some still in denial about even its very existence, structural racism in our country. And so uh, four years ago, I thought, you know what, I, I want to share my story and hope that that would be an invitation to other white Christians to wake up to some of this stuff as well. And Paul, I couldn't have predicted what would happen in 2020 and where we'd be in 2022. But I'm thankful for the timing of my book coming out and hopeful, hopefully it will be a I'm, I call it a catalyst book, so sort of a, an entry book for white people so that they would go read books primarily by authors of color, which is, I think, where mm -hmm. we can do the most learning. So why why don't Christians talk more about race and why is it not a major issue in the church? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I have a couple thoughts, but I'm sure that there's many. I mean, I think there's a piece of this that is generational. Um, I, even for myself, I'm in my 40s, you know, I think I grew up in a generation and I think it was even worse for people that are older than me where we were taught to be colorblind. We were taught to, in, in our in our attempt to love all people, to not see color, you know, we're all the same, which is sort of ridiculous when you think about it. Clearly we all see color, but I think there's part of that piece of it. Um, I also think, I mean, you know, if you look at history in the United States, and that's primarily where I've done a lot of my study, the church has been complicit in a lot of, of racist things. And I think there's a tension there, right? Um, and I also just think, you know, I've, I don't know, Paul, I've been thinking a lot about how I think, especially in evangelical spaces, sometimes there's such a, um, Richard Rohr talks about this. There's such a, like um, a focus on being right and certainty, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden as, as, the conversation conversation is emerging and people that might have not thought about these things are confronted with really hard truths. I feel like that there's that initial like, no, 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 that we, that can't be us. So I don't know. I think it's complex, but I, there's definitely it's a it's a hard topic for a lot of people, for sure. Yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways we are unwilling to look at ourselves in the mirror yeah. for a whole lot of things. And sure. And race is certainly one of those. And I want to I want to talk about that from the the vantage point of how you see race. Um, my wife and I had to learn this the hard way. It sounds like our journey is a little bit like yours, where we actually had somebody tell us, "You don't think you have a culture being white. Yeah. You don't think you have a culture. You think you are culture." So talk a little bit just about the construct of race, yeah. and and maybe sort of how white people sort of falsely look at that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, the, the one of the biggest things I always want people to learn right off the bat is that we made it up, right? Like race is a social construct, like we yeah. made it up. And I think when you look at, you know, the United States in particular, um, white people made it up to benefit themselves, right? We, um, we first hear this sort of white person phrase um, in, 
um, you know, like colonial Jamestown, right? And it, and it was really about trying to separate and pull away from those that had black skin or, you know, Native Americans, right? That, and so, um, but we see this being really used really early on. And then over time, we kind of got to pick, pick and choose who could be, you know, deemed white based on what we needed. So when we needed uh, more people to sort of join um, a political issue, then all of a sudden, like the Irish could be white, even though in the beginning they weren't seen as white because we, we needed their labor and things in other ways. So we see this progression. And so it's um, it's always been whiteness about um, hoarding power, wealth, right? And so, um, but we made it up. And I think for Christians in particular, I think it's important to recognize that, um, you know, in the Bible, like there is the, the phrase race is used, right? And God's referring to a human race, right? That all people, and I believe this fully, all people were made in the image of God. All, 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 let me repeat that all. And so um, I think that, you know, the intent, the beauty and the diversity of cultures and languages and all that was the intent but never was the intent that there should be any sort of superiority or racial hierarchy, right? And that's right. what white people created ultimately for the exploitation of other people, right? So yeah, that's it's, it's made up is what I want white people to know. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, you know, a, a Pope has a painting of Jesus made that actually is a picture of the Pope's son uh, and is, is the depiction of Jesus as a white person and I don't know if this is stunning to people to hear, but Jesus was not a white person. He was he was a Middle Easterner. He was a very normal Middle Easterner in, in ancient Palestine. And and so it's kind of crazy. We got that. And, you know, you talked about uh, the, the, the Christians need to do better and that we really haven't focused on this in the church. And why do you think Christ, were he incarnate in America today, would want to focus on the issue of race. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think it's one of the biggest um, places of division, first of all, right? And I think that Christ was about is about unity. Um, I also think that um, we all have the the stamp of God in us, and and we are um, beautiful humans with with dignity and worth, and so. In, in our context, it is brown and black skinned people that are dehumanized. And I think that would, I think it does break Jesus's heart. I mean, I think any group of people where you take some aspect of their identity and they are less than, I mean, we could talk about this with lots of pieces of, of one's identity, but um, I think in, in, in our uh, context, race has just been the thing that, um, and especially, you know, anti-blackness, I think, you know, all people of color are certainly oppressed in our country in some way, but this, I just think this anti-blackness, this idea that we have literally taken a whole beautiful group of God's people and made them less than, I just think is, uh, is so antithetical to, um, to the gospel. Yeah. It it seems to me like the Samaritans are a good representation of the Bible's never-ending command to care about the poor, the marginalized, uh, the outcast, the widow. Um, they were the marginalized people. They were a race that were seen as less than. Yeah. So I don't know, would you see it that way when Jesus is sitting with the Samaritan woman at the well? Not only is he sitting with 
a lower race, but a, but a lower gender and giving her value. And, and to me, that's a sign that Jesus wouldn't be a part of this racial division at all. Mm -mm, totally agree. I mean, all the all the groups of people, um, and I think there's sort of modern day versions of the group that Jesus were walking with, like are the the people that I think that you know, sort of the um, the white Christian, often male, able bodied, straight. I mean, that that is you know anyone else that does not fit that mold um, are in, marginalized in our nation. And I think that Jesus, I mean, he, he would he would have have that flipped, right? Like he was all about sitting with and honoring the marginalized, right? And that was, that was mm -hmm. the essence of his life. And I think that's where um, I get, I get riled up sometimes about the church. Like, are we really trying to be Christ-like in that way? Um, or are we also just trying to hold on to power and money like the rest of society? And sometimes I don't think we look different, right? And, uh, some individuals do. I say on the whole, we don't always look different, right? Well, are you feeling challenged? I love this discussion of doing better as a white person with the issue of race. Let me give you a quick break here and say as unconventional pastor, Paul, I want to invite you to our monthly unconventional conversations where we have discussions. You and I actually talk to each other about the biggest and most difficult issues of reconstructing. I've listed nine of them on our website. And this month on Sunday, October 16th, we're going to talk about rethinking the Bible. Does it really say what evangelicals say that it says? And for just a $5.99 subscription, you get to join us and hang out in the Zoom room and have that discussion together. It's October 16th, Sunday evening, right here. Uh, uh, you can join us online for this discussion of rethinking the Bible. Does it really say what evangelicals say that it says? I hope you'll check it out at the website, pastor-paul.com for an unconventional conversation. Now, back to our not-so-unconventional conversation with author Catherine Martin, part one of our talk with her on the Post-Evangelical Podcast. Yeah. And it's, and again, I'd like for you to go more into that idea of colorblindness. I hear this from people all the time and they will, they will quote Martin Luther King Jr. or, you know, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and say, you know, I, I hope that one day, you know, we, we won't see race, that all the kids will sit together. I don't think that's what he was talking about. And, and it's, I don't know, is it just silly of us to say I'm colorblind in, in this culture today? Yes. Well, one, I think that Martin Luther King is probably one of the most often misquoted or one of the best examples of taking one sentence out of context of who he was and what he believed in <laughs> in the time, especially on MLK Day. And so um, let's let's go back and, and learn from him and all his teachings. Right. Um, that said, I do think it's silly, Paul. I mean, just from a it, it just color in general. Right. Like we see color, like we see the grass, we see the sky, we see flowers, like we see color. And so to say that we don't see the color of someone's skin doesn't make sense. So like we do see color and there's so many studies of babies and um, toddlers, right? They they see color at a really early age. Um, and, 
and we can talk about this too, but then they're, they're also um, sort of being shaped by this really racialized society where they begin to associate certain colors with good or bad, which is a whole nother mm -hmm. thing. But like we do see color. And I actually think for people, if people could just sit with this in a, and put yourself in the shoes of a person of color, for someone to say to a black person, for example, I don't see your black skin. I just see Catherine if I were black, right? Like it's like, wait a minute, like, but my blackness is like a part of me, like God created me just in the same way that so many other elements of who I am. And so to say that, I think is really, it's hurtful, it's damaging. It's not recognizing the beauty and the of someone's culture, right? So I, I right. just, I, I hope that argument goes away pretty quickly. I'm trying to, I think more and more people are recognizing that and trying to teach their kids differently than maybe even they were taught. But yeah, I hope that one goes away, the colorblind thing. <laughs> so, so how do we lean into that? Is it is it a case of, I see your color and and I guess even starting to say, and I'm I'm aware that I grew up in a culture where your skin tone taught me in some ways you're less than me even if I don't want to admit it, maybe, I, I don't know, do we just embrace that and then start to walk through what that means to us and how we live differently through that? Yeah, I think that's a piece of it. Like, I think there's so many layers to this, right? So I do think for white people um, that are beginning their racial identity journey or even just hearing things in the news and thinking like, why is everything about race? I do think there is an important element of doing your own racial identity work, right? So that could look like, um, you know, a lot of um, scholars will talk about writing your own racial autobiography, for example, trying to go back in childhood. Like, when did you first know you were white? When did you first, when were you around people that weren't white? What were your, where did you get your messages? And what were your earliest messages about people that were black or people that were Latinx or an immigrant family or whatever the case may be and sort of unpacking that? But there's so many resources out there. But I think that first part is awareness of like, I'm white. Um, we made it up, but that comes with something, right? Like you don't, you can't talk about racism without talking about like white superiority, right? Or, or white supremacy. I know that word scares a lot of people, but like I think there is just this understanding. I think it's a word we need to use, white supremacy. Okay. And right. Again, I, I do. I think we need to embrace. Like I was taught this either covertly or. Sure very openly and and deal with it. So sorry to interrupt you, but no, that's, I think I mean, white I, supremacy is a term we need to use more often. I agree. I, I, I appreciate and, re and I do understand that without context or, you know, in, in a one-off comment, I think for a lot of people, they hear that word and they think KKK or right. radical, right? And that's not what we're talking about. Literally right. just the, this notion that our country was built on that white people were better and the white way was the right way, right? That's that's real. I mean, that's that's history. Very and, real. And, and, and so, um, but I think it begins with sort of the understanding self. And then I think there is a process of reading and learning and listening. Um, there is there is no excuse today in 2022 when we have the internet and all the resources that we do. Um, there's plenty of access to, to learning that white people can do about our history, about, about race, about um, you know, white cultural norms and all those things. So I think there's that piece first, because then, Paul, I mean, to go back to your original question, I do think there is a time of just owning it and naming it. How that sounds in conversation with people of color, I think, depends on the context of the relationship. Right. I mean, I think in an ideal world, 
we are building relationships across racial lines such that ultimately we can get to the point where we can have these really rich exchanges and to be able to say to someone and you know some of the things you were just saying hey like i this is this is my own bias and i'm, I'm unpacking that right or um to have really rich exchanges i think white people need to be careful though because depending on right. the depth of the relationship or who they're proximate to we don't want to harm people of color by asking them dumb questions that we could find out the answers to on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't have to carry my, my ignorance. Right. Um, but I, it, it has been interesting for us to have friends who are people of color, you know, literally we had a friend say, I got to sit you guys down and have a conversation and, and started talking to us about, uh, you know, first just, his experience of driving while black as a, as a young man uh, getting pulled over, not realizing at the time that it was, he was being profiled and then teaching us how I have to teach my children. If you get stopped by a police officer, do your hands like, you know, and, and all of those things. And, and, and then it really, I think one of the things that really hit us was that idea of you guys have a culture you you think you don't you think you are culture and everybody needs to be you and and through that and talking with some some friends from the Latinx culture around us um and and, and learning uh one of our friends said do you know the term traditional family is a white supremacist term mm-hmm. and i'm like what that's a that's a biblical term and then i actually went and looked at the bible and there was no such thing as the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mom, dad, white picket fence, American yeah. white Christian home. Yeah. And and even that had its roots in sort of a eugenic idea of we need more white babies in America. And once you start hearing this stuff, and I, I know white people get resistant to like, I don't want to tell our kids they're racist and we get defensive about that. But I, I, I actually entitled uh, our, our time together, Do We Need to Tell Our Children They're White? And I think I may have got that concept from your website. I'm not exactly yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But what does that conversation with our children look like? And what is the line between sort of shaming our kids for being born with a yeah. skin tone versus helping them be really good Christians to other people? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is great. There's also a ton of resources out there from real experts doing a lot around, you know, how do, how do you have these exact conversations? But um, I'll, I'll say a couple of things. I think one, whenever we're talking about racism, it's helpful to talk about sort of individuals as well as systems and structures. Um, because I do think that um, both matter in terms of dismantling systems oppression of oppression in our country. Like the individual, like we all have implicit biases, we all have prejudices that we carry, um, and and there are people that have racist tendencies and thoughts, right? So there is the individual, and that heart change matters. But even if you know someone was perfect, which they're not, and you know didn't have any of those thoughts, there still is institutional and structural racism. And so that is a big thing. So even I think sometimes white people can, but I, you know, I love all people. And I, I feel like, you know, I would never, you know, um, hurt a person of color or their, you know, I, I do stop the racist joke and all these individual actions, but we need to understand racism as a, as a structure too, right? Beverly Tatum talks about this in her book, Why Are the Black Kids Sitting Dead on the Cafeteria? Of like, if you if you could define racism around the structure too, that's, that's helpful. So I think that's, I say that, Paul, because I think with kids, 
there's age appropriate things to talk about. I have a five, a seven and an eight year old and the structural part of racism is really hard. I've tried a couple of times when we've talked about <laughs> criminal justice and it's it's challenging. But I do yeah. think there is there are some easy ways to introduce that. I mean, one, just getting comfortable naming race. You know what I mean? Like it's and, and having access to things in our homes. My I'm white and my husband's white. So we have three white children. So I want to make sure that our literature has absolutely white kids that they can see themselves in, but black and brown kids too. I want to make sure that they have the white baby dolls they see themselves, but I want to have the black baby dolls too, right? So there's some simple things like that just to be comfortable with naming skin tones, right? Um, and then mm -hmm. we can explain things like melanin in pretty basic ways, right? And kids can get that. Oh, why is their skin darker? Well, it probably has to do with where their ancestors were born in the world. Like just kind of, and kids are like, okay, cool, right? Um, and so, and then I do think when the time is right, and I think we probably started these conversations with our kids, I mean, four, five, six, um, to just let them know that they they do have white skin, you know, lighter skin, and that that, that carries with it a meaning. Um, and in a home where we're trying to raise our kids to love Jesus, we can say like, God never intended that like you would be treated more special um, than, you know, pick a friend at school. We're lucky they're in a really diverse school. Um, that, that, but you know what? You do, you, you, automatically get some benefits just because of your white skin, right? And so there's ways to talk about that. And then I think there's ways, again, in age appropriate fashion to bring them into what's going on in the world. I mean, you know, when there are, um, you know, shootings, I mean, when we've gone to local protests to, to be able to explain to them why things happened, um, you know, and we've had to answer some tough questions. No, not all police officers are, you know, are evil. Gosh, no. I mean, I'm related to one, right? I mean, I, I like, but just kind of explaining like some of that stuff. Um, and I think that is a conversation that I hope will continue for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Uh, the documentary, I think it's called 13th. I'm, uh -huh. I'm sorry, I don't know. It, I don't know if you've seen that one, but I, I highly recommend that to everyone because I, I truly believe, you know, I, I want to take a quick break here because I know you had offered to give some books away and we didn't yeah. talk about this before we got on on the air here. Um, I would love for you to be able to give a book away. Do you have an idea of how to best do that or do you want me to come up with a way to do that? What What sounds good to you? If you can come up with a quick way and we can <laughs> um, somehow draw names or I don't know, I don't know. I can, I'm happy to, you know, have somebody email me on my website and then get an address. But well, I'll just do it this way. Uh, the book is The Colorful Image of God, A White Christian's Guide to Doing Better. And if and I was just going to say the same, go to my website, pastor-paul.com, which is on the screen. If you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook, uh, pastor-paul.com, if you're listening on the podcast. And uh, we'll just you just send me a message and sign up for my newsletter there. And uh, we'll we'll draw out uh, two or three, whatever Catherine is willing to give us in Perfect. the books, and we'll make sure That's we cool. get it to you. That's great. I love it. I'd love to get All the right. book in as many hands as we can. <laughs> Okay, this conversation isn't over. Part two is coming up with Catherine, and she's going to discuss the idea of implicit bias, and does it exist in Christians? And if it does, is it a sin?
Now, if you're a subscriber, you can go right now and get the link on our community chat board at pastor-paul.com and listen to part two right now. Otherwise, you'll have to wait till the next issue comes out or go be a subscriber yourself for as little as $5.99 a month at the website pastor-paul.com. And anything you give up to $100 a month helps keep all this free content coming. Sorry for hitting the mic there. And thank you. And you'll have my love for anything you can afford to do. And if you can't, we still love you and tell you our message that God is not mad at you. We'll see you next time for part two with Catherine Martin on the Post Evangelical Podcast. 